The following message is from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. For more information, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com. If you could turn to Psalm 133, that's where we're going to be for the sermon today. Um, This is a psalm in the Songs of Ascent. These are songs that would have been uh, sung by God's people in the Old Testament. Actually, all the psalms are songs. Uh, They're they're poems as well when you don't put them to music, but but they're really songs that would have been sung by God's people uh, to really mark everything in life, every aspect of walking with God. And these particular uh, songs in the Psalter were sung on their journey to Jerusalem. They would make uh, journeys to Jerusalem. It was the center place where they would meet together. And and so there were songs that would remind them about who they are and remind them about uh, what what it meant to come together in Jerusalem. And so this Psalm 133 is one of those. It's a very short Psalm, three verses, but it's really... um, really poignant, really important, really profound. Uh, It says a lot to us in these three verses. We need to hear the message in this psalm, and and you guys need to hear this message as a church because it's calling you to something that will uh, will define you and lead you to really prosperity in God, uh, in in the ways of God. So it's it's fitting to bring this psalm uh, on your membership Sunday as well. This psalm is about unity. I'll tell you up front before we read it. Um, it's a song that uh, celebrates unity and also explains unity, explains things about unity. And we live in a world that needs unity. We live in a world that is divided, very divided in many ways. Neighbors uh, turn against neighbors. Uh, countries turn against countries. Um, Politicians turn against politicians and party members turn against party members. We see that happening now and maybe more than you've felt in a while. Uh, we are a country and we are people who need unity. We, we see a lot of division that's out there. And yet in the context of that, in the context of actually division at times, sadly, that's among God's people. There are times when Christians are divided against Christians and churches against churches and churches split over things. And this uh, should not be. But this psalm speaks to us in this context, in this world of division, and it calls us to the beauty and the blessing of unity. I think we could sum up this psalm by saying we must treasure unity as beautiful and full of blessing. Let's pray and then we'll read the psalm and dig into it. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this psalm, and we thank you, Lord, for what you want to do in our lives and what you want to do here uh, in King's Cross, what you want to do in and through King's Cross, and Lord, beyond King's Cross as well, what you want to do in Manchester and what you are doing in Manchester among your people. Thank you, Lord, for unity. Unity comes from you. You are the God who is one, and those who belong to you are brought into unity in you, and we thank you, Lord. So we ask, Lord, as we look at this psalm, would you help us understand unity, and Lord, not just to understand it with our minds, but be impacted by your word and be changed by it, that we would believe it and obey it, and we would alter our lives to align with it, O God. Lord, you would bless this church in this psalm as well. We pray and we thank you in Christ's name, amen. Psalm 133, a song of a sense of David. Behold, how good and pleasant 
it is. When brothers dwell in unity, it is like the precious oil on the head, running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there, the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. These three verses full of truth. And so let's dig into it. First, I think this psalm teaches us that unity is beautiful. Unity is beautiful. It, it says right in the beginning, behold. It calls us to look. It calls us to gaze at unity. It calls us to observe unity and to say with the psalmist how good and pleasant it is. There's a beauty to unity. And I think we get this intuitively, whether we've ever read Psalm 133 or not. When we see unity happening, there's something about it that's attractive. Just think about what went on in 9-11 in New York City. Here we had a city that's known for you know, people just not caring about one another, known for strife and rudeness. And the terrible tragedy of 9-11 changed things in the city, didn't it? And all of a sudden, you had people caring about their neighbor, and they were drawn together around the tragedy to care for each other and to be unified. And the world watched. We as Americans watched and thought, wow, there's, there's something about this. Actually, I have to say, it's the first time I've ever rooted for the Yankees uh, in the World Series was that year. And there was a drawing together, and, it, and there was a beauty in that, right? I mean, we think about that even now. Like, Wow. It really did something to not only New York, but even our whole country. It, 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 it was something to behold. There was a beauty in it. Unity is beautiful. And that's what this psalm starts out with. It calls us to behold it. And, and implied in that is not just that would be casual observers, but we would find in our hearts that we love unity. And we ourselves treasure it. We want to preserve it. We want to promote it. it. It should motivate us in admiring it to invest ourselves in it. Uh, down in Boston, you guys have probably all been to the public gardens, and it's a beautiful place. Uh, the whole emerald necklace, right, uh, designed by F uh, Frederick Law Olmsted, uh, or at least his company did it. And it's a beautiful garden full of... Uh, the pond there, though the pond's not always beautiful, sometimes it's kind of greenish, but it's beautiful. And with all the trees around and the shrubs, uh, it's a beautiful place. It's nice to dwell there, to go and just walk around the public gardens. The city of Boston loves the beauty of the public gardens. And so they, I don't know what the budget is, but obviously they invest a lot in that, don't they? And the, it's people's jobs to cut the grass and trim the trees and take care of everything and make sure that the, all those incredible trees from all over the world uh, are preserved and, and thrive. The beauty of the public gardens motivates the city to treasure and invest in it. And that's what the psalm is saying here. That's why it says, behold how good and pleasant it is. Not just to you know, make us say, say, oh yeah, I guess it is. To, to call us into the beauty of unity. That we would invest in it. That we would put the hard work into unity. Because unity in its experience, isn't necessarily automatic. It isn't. There's work that we need to put into it. That's why this psalm is here, because, it, because God knows we need to be called to it and we need to invest in it. It's why it says in Ephesians 4 that we are to be eager to maintain the spirit of unity. 
We're to, to see it as beautiful and we're, be, we're to be eager to do what we can to make sure that we maintain it and promote it. We're to deal with the things that lead to disunity. We're to be quick to address offenses. If we know someone's offended against us, we go and talk to them, someone, especially someone in the body, especially someone in our local church. We don't let it ride if we know they're upset with us. We go to them. Tell me what I did. And I, want, I want to work through this. Help me understand what I did wrong. And, and we come, we lay our own preferences down. We lay our pride down, right? Because that's what gets in the way because we don't want to do that. We want to protect and defend ourselves. But we're to lay our, our lives down for the sake of the body, for unity, and come humbly and say, first, tell me about what I did so that I can say sorry. And we can work through this. We're to pursue relationships as well. We're to deal with the things that, that harm relationships, but we're also to invest our time in building relationships. Because we could say, well, unity is beautiful and then never spend time with anybody in the church. And, and we're not investing in it. I know you guys do this well. We're to invest. We're to spend time. And in all this, we need to draw on the strength that God alone gives because it's not easy to do any of these things. We need to look to him to give us strength to help us to love one another and to give us the energy to invest ourselves relationally and invest ourselves in preserving unity. Unity is beautiful. And we ought to treasure and pursue unity because it is beautiful to behold and to enjoy. The second thing I want to say is that unity is a blessed nearness. It's a blessed nearness. So it, it says, how, behold how good and pleasant it is. And then it says, when brothers dwell, and some translations say dwell together in unity. And this was said to a people who were journeying to a city that was only about a square kilometer or so. So a, what, a half mile square or so, two thirds of a mile square. Uh, and about a million people would cram into Jerusalem during the festivals. They actually couldn't all fit right in the city proper. They'd be in tents and so forth on the outskirts as well. But it got really crowded during the festival. So when it says, behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity, they had in their mind and they had in their experience, brothers and sisters implied here, uh, dwelling close together, crammed together in unity. And so unity is about being close together. It's about being compact and close and near one another. But it isn't just about being close to each other because if it were merely, if unity was a mere product of being close to each other, then cities like Manchester would be, you know, very unified places. The more crowded you got, the more unity there'd be, right? But it's more than just proximity space-wise. It's about proximity in heart. It's about being close in, in the values you hold together, being close in, in what's most important, what you hold is most important. That's what went on in 9-11, right? I mean, for, for, the, for the country and our values of family and friendships and so forth, we realized these are important things. And so that drew people together in that moment of crisis. So it's a closeness of heart. It's when we share values. And, and for the church, it's, it's closeness that comes through Christ because we share Christ together. We know Christ together. Uh, I just got back from Nepal and 
and it was a wonderful experience, but a very strange experience in some ways. I arrived uh, at the airport and realized, you know, just was not home anymore. No one spoke my language. No one acted really like people here. Uh, they drove crazy. Uh, coming back from Nepal, a Boston driving, New England driving is nothing. Uh, it's mild, and it was just crazy and indifferent. And I, I felt uh, as a stranger until I started meeting. God's people there. And even though there was a language barrier, uh, their language, their English was for the most part broken English, if at all, meeting them and talking about Christ together and greeting each other, right away there was a kindredness and I felt at home. I felt at home among God's people there, though halfway around the world. There's a unity that we have in Christ. There's a unity that is created in our relationship with Christ that draws us together because we value Christ together. And as a local church, there are truths with Christ, with the centrality of Christ and the good news of Christ. There are truths that we also treasure together that draw us together, that draw us close to one another, that draw us not only in distance because we're together space-wise, but we're together tonight, I trust, heart-wise as well. And for the original singers of this song, there was a common covenant they had. The covenant really with Abraham um, and then the covenant with Moses, that they were God's people covenanted under him. He had been gracious to them and had called them to follow him and belong to him and walk in his ways. And they shared that together. They shared a culture together. And so they were coming together to pack all these people in the city. And because their closeness of heart at least when they were doing well, it was a wonderful thing to be so close together with people that they loved and shared such values. The old covenant points ultimately to the new covenant, to Christ himself who came and actually paid an incredibly high price for our unity. Because the reality is that apart from God, apart from any covenant, apart from Christ. We are separated from God. Our sins have separated us from him. We are born rebels and we want to run the other way. We want ourselves to be God and we will not stand for God to be God. Sometimes that takes the form of running off into craziness, running off into destructive sins, evil things that, that have an immediate consequence. But you know, it also often, maybe more often, uh, makes itself known through trying to establish our own means of, of feeling good about our life, our own righteousness, our own religious system. And really, all the religions of the world are that. They're attempts to skirt around what God calls us to, to establish our own sense of spirituality and righteousness apart from God. It was interesting being in Nepal and, and seeing uh, Hinduism and Buddhism as well and realizing, you know, it's really just no different than any of the other systems. It's just a system apart from the living God of, of trying to somehow atone for our sins and deal with our life and feel good about ourselves. And it's in vain, along with the, all the other systems. And the reality is, is we all pursue those things. We prefer those things. And yet God in his amazing love and his amazing mercy pursued us. Pursued us by sending his son, God the son coming and living the righteous life that we all failed to live. And then doing an amazing thing 
and his perfection and his glory and his greatness, laying that all down on the cross to take up our sins, to bear our sins, to bear the just penalty for our sins, and then bear the, the, the wrath of God in that, the holy, just reaction of God, the, the just action of God, not, not God going off the handle, but God in his measured, determined holiness and justice, pouring out punishment on Christ himself for us, shedding his blood, dying on the cross, purchasing our forgiveness, purchasing our unity. For in that good news, as we trust in Christ, as we turn from self and sin, put our trust in Christ, we are reconciled with God. There is now no barrier. We are forgiven of our sins. We're counted as sons and daughters. It's amazing through faith alone as a pure gift. There's nothing like it. But we're not only reconciled to God, but we're drawn near to each other. We're unified in Christ together. And so the unity that this psalm celebrates, this unity that we're called to, the, the unity that reverberates throughout Scripture is a unity that comes at an incredibly high price. The blood of of Christ himself, the God-man, shed for you, shed for you, King's Cross, that you would walk together with hearts that are knit together in Christ. It's no wonder that Scripture calls us to be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. Unity is this blessed nearness that Christ has paid for and so we should give our all because of that, because of his grace, because of what he's done to promote unity, to preserve it, to enjoy it. In the psalm also we learn that unity is a blessed nearness to God. Uh, and, and this emphasis we see in verse 2, it's speaking about the oil on the head, running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. Aaron was the high priest and he would have been anointed to set him apart as a high priest. His job as a high priest was to represent the people to God, to, to represent the people before God, to make atonement for the people as well. And so he would have been anointed and set apart and consecrated for the Lord. He represented the whole people. So when it says the oil being poured down on him, uh, it's, that's anointing, that's consecration of Aaron to God. And that speaks of not just the consecration of Aaron, but as the high priest, as the representative for the people, it's a cons consecration of, of the, all the people to God. And there's this language of abundant blessing, of pouring out. So the oil flows down on his head, on the beard, on, on running down on the collar of his robes. There's a, an abundance of consecration and blessing and setting apart here. It's not just simply that he's set apart, but, but there's an abundance in it. There's a, there's a magnitude of that consecration that's going on. That's the language that it's getting at here. So unity brings with it this, this special, holy consecration to God. When God's people live in unity and pursue unity, there's a holy consecration that comes with it. There's a drawing near to God. There's a ushering into the presence of God. And with that, experiencing God's presence among his people. That's what this is getting at. Are you hungry for God? Are you hungry to know him? Are you hungry to enjoy him? To behold his glory in a clearer way? 
to be changed by him in a more powerful way, to be used by him more significantly, then love and pursue unity because unity brings with it this consecration. This is what we've seen. This is what we've seen in the history of God's people is when there's unity, when the, when the people are united together around the gospel, when God changes people and draws them together, draws them around Christ, there is a consecration. I love uh, actually what Jonathan Edwards records in the revival they experienced in Northampton where, where people were being rescued from sin and brought together in Christ. There was, a, some, it was something to behold, a whole town, a, real, a city, a small city, being brought together, being brought into the presence of God. This is what he says. He says, this work of God as it was carried on and the number of true saints multiply soon made a glorious alteration in the town. The town seemed to be full of the presence of God. There were remarkable tokens of God's presence in almost every house. Our public assemblies were then beautiful. The congregation was alive in God's service. Everyone earnestly intent on the public worship. Every hearer eager to drink in the words of the minister as they came from his mouth. The assembly in general were from time to time in tears while the word was preached. Our public praises were then greatly enlivened. There has been scarce any part of divine worship wherein good men amongst us have had grace so drawn forth and their hearts so lifted up in the ways of God as in singing his praises. In all companies, on other days, on whatever occasions persons met together, Christ was to be heard of and seen in the midst of them. Our young people, when they met, were wont to spend the time in talking of the excellency and dying love of Jesus Christ, the glory of the way of salvation, the wonderful, free, and sovereign grace of God. When God, in so remarkable a manner, took the work into his own hands, there was as much done in a day or two as at ordinary times is done in a year." That's what went on in Northampton as they experienced God pouring out his spirit and being drawn near together in the gospel and, and the consecration of God happening and the, them experiencing his presence and everything. When God's people dwell together in unity, they experience this blessing of consecration and holy intimacy with God. And for this reason, we should love and pursue unity. Final point is, Unity blesses us with refreshing fruitfulness. The final verse says, it's like the dew of Hermon which falls on the mountains of Zion. And in this country, it was a dry country. And for a good part of the year, they didn't get rain and they relied on a kind of desert climate sort of stuff. So there was a fluctuation of, of 20 degrees or so uh, from night to day. And so you get condensation on the ground and that was partly how you watered your plants and how things grew. And there was one mountain in the distance though that always had water on the top. It had snow on the top for a good part of the year. It was always blessed with dew and that was Mount Hermon. And so the Psalm is speaking of, of this dew being poured out, falling like, like the oil pouring out on Aaron, this dew being poured out on Zion, this dew that would lead to fruitfulness. And, and the original hearers of this song would have connected with that. They would have known, yes, that's, that speaks of the, the land being watered and the fruitfulness of the crops that flow from it. So that's the, the second aspect here, is that when there's unity, it brings fruitfulness. Fruitfulness. 
When God's people come together, are drawn together and, and enjoy and pursue unity in Christ, there's fruitfulness. Things happen. There's productivity. There's blessing. There's change in people's lives. There's even changes in culture. And we can look again at history and the moves of God in time when, when the Spirit was poured out and God's people were drawn together. Wonderful things happened. Universities were started. Hospitals were started. There were advances in science and technology and, and common morals. Uh, uh, historians say actually that the great revivals saved England from having a similar revolution as France had. It changed them that much. And right now, guys, in parts of the world, they are experiencing the same sort of touch of God and unity in the gospel and the transformation of lives, families, villages, cultures. It's amazing to behold. Again, uh, I could cite a lot of places, Nepal being one of them. The, the church is growing at 10 to 11% per year. That means within a lifetime, uh, the, the whole country could become Christian. And it's changing people. It's freeing them from from deception, it's freeing them from damnation, it's freeing them from, from even just the ills of society because it was wonderful just to watch. So many of these people are brand new Christians. Most Nepalese uh, have come to Christ in the past 15 years. In 2001, there were only 100,000. 1950, there were zero. Right now, there's anywhere from 500,000 to 1.5 million believers in the country. And these people are being affected and they're loving each other and they're loving their neighbors and sharing the gospel. They're, and they're loving their country as well. And they're loving the unreached people groups. They're already planting churches among unreached people groups in their own country. Nepal has the greatest density of unreached people groups. They're already talking about how to, how to invest in Christian business in their country that, that really, from what I observed, had a, a Hindu worldview that affected them and, and really kept them from taking advantage of the beauty and blessings in that country a lot of suffering and disorder there and Hinduism kind of with the caste system just says well that's how it's supposed to be. These guys are being affected and they're investing themselves and wanting to get further education so they can be a blessing to their country in all these ways. That's what happens when, when God visits us, when God's people work together, when they come together in the gospel. And that's what I see as I observe King's Cross and as I observe the church in Manchester, some wonderful things happening as you guys come together, and as you come together with a broader church to partner, to represent Christ to this city and to affect it. It's wonderful. It, that's a picture of the fruitfulness of unity. We are to pursue it for this reason as well. Just in conclusion, this psalm teaches us about unity. It teaches us that unity is beautiful. It teaches us that unity brings blessing, blessing of consecration, blessing of fruitfulness. And so this day, as you guys become members, I just want to encourage and even challenge you to commit yourself to the unity of this body, to ask God for grace to pursue it together, to love it together to build it together, to lay down preferences, lay down pride, and work together for the unity that God would have in and through this church and beyond it as well. Let's just take a minute to pray before we go into this part where we're gonna have questions from members and become members together. Just to pray 
and basically say to the Lord, Lord, use me to promote the unity of this church. Use me in the long haul. Use me to promote unity in the broader church in this area as well. Just mark the day with that prayer, that commitment, and then uh, Jacob will take us from there. Thank you for listening to this message from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. Please feel free to share or distribute this content, but do not charge for it or alter the content in any way without permission. King's Cross Church exists to treasure, proclaim, and grow in the gospel of Jesus Christ. To find out more about King's Cross Church, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com.